Hey guys, Veronica, Andrew, and Nate here. We are Foodies Watching Movies, a podcast dedicated to awesome movies, great food, and that's about it. Check us out on the JIC Network at www.journeyintocomics.com. Maybe throw some money over to our Patreon so we can eat this week. And now your feature presentation. Following the following journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 22 of Poor 360. The show that covers topics of semi-importance to importance, depending on your own personal views on that particular topic. As always, I am your host, Andrew Porner. Thank you for joining me here today. Now, I'm actually not coming from you from my home in Illinois. I'm actually traveling for work this week, which is how I got my topic. I'm actually coming to you from South Carolina, where I've spent the past few nights. So... Always want to check out, not quite the South, but definitely the some of the Southern states. And that's where I got the topic for this week. This week is on travel. As you've known before, whether with uh, Poor... Well, I don't know if I've actually done it for Poor 360, but for other shows I've been involved with, uh, Poor Report, Poor Entertainment, Poor News, all of that, there have been times where I've had to either have someone fill in for me or I've had to do the shows remotely. And that brings us today. So... This episode is going to be on traveling, specifically traveling for work. And it's something that a lot of people do. There's a large number of the workforce that travel for work on, on a daily basis or a weekly basis or more than that. Within my company alone, there are a good chunk of people who travel consistently and some like myself who travel probably a handful of times a year, depending on the project that we're working on, but they're salesmen who travel. They're upper level businessmen. I have friends who spend four days a week somewhere else and then come home on weekends. Couldn't imagine doing that. I can't imagine having a family and a relatively normal life with that, but you do what you got to do to provide for yourself and the people you're responsible for. One thing that is nice about traveling, even though it is sometimes inconvenient to your normal day-to-day life, is that you get to explore places that you don't normally get a chance to go to and you don't have to really pay for because more often than not, your company is paying for your trip out there, your rental car, your hotel, your food, all that way there. So you're able to, beyond getting your work done, doing what you have to do, your whole purpose of being there, you get to kind of explore and check out new things and get to experience some other culture or some other cities and spaces that you don't get to see on a regular basis. And that's one that I always try to make a point to do when I am traveling for work. Cause I like to either go to like a local restaurant, not like a typical chain, go to maybe a brewery to a place that I'll never get a chance to go to. And if, unless I get their beer imported, I don't get to really experience what they have to offer. I even did so just last night, went to this brewery called, um, I don't have the beer stuff in front of me. It's, it's a legality brewing, I believe. It, the whole uh, brewery is like 
judge courtroom kind of themed. Like some of their beers are all like um, like Exhibit A is like a beer and um, bribing the witness and all that. They have stuff that's legal jargon or and also like there's not like bartenders aren't like wearing robes, but it's it's a nice little theme and it's something that stands out and it gives you a chance to be creative with the beers you're offering and the menu and all of that. So I particularly enjoy that and like just to get a little memento from there while I'm there just as a token of that. I actually did get a six pack of something they were selling and still have a few to drink before I have to travel again back home. So I got some drinking to do, but that's kind of comes with the territory when you, when you're traveling and which brings me to like an article I found and, this might be a little short, but I am kind of traveling and I'm a little off in terms of time zone in my work day because I've spent the whole day today since I'm in a southern state. It's a little bit warmer at this time of year and they've had rain for since Saturday or Friday. So it's humid as all hell and I about <laughs> passed out in the office. I drank a bunch of water. I was still sweating profusely. I actually went and got a haircut that I wasn't planning to get for a while just because I needed something to help get over this crazy weather and kind of cool off a little bit. And you know that they felt bad when they're like, you want a t-shirt? So I was in like a, a work shirt and my sleeves rolled up, but still can't do much when it's when you're inside this plant and it's 86 internally with all the windows open and stuff because there's all this heavy machinery and welding and all of that. So you do what you got to do to stay cool. But I did find an article here. It's a little dated, but it is... 23 speedy facts about business travel, which I'm a little part of, and I'm sure there's listeners out there that this involves your day to day. So um, here's the article from Rebecca Lake. This is from a couple of years back. It says, another business trip. Read the fascinating compilation of business travel statistics, including the new demographic trends transforming the industry. So, number one, how many people travel for business each year in the U.S.? A staggering number of people hit the road and fly the friendly skies for business purposes each year. The Global Business Travel Association pegs the number of business trips taken annually in the U.S. at 488 million, which is a lot of people. For older, more experienced travelers, this means an average of 12 trips per year with four nights away from each from home each trip. For younger business travelers, that means an average of 14 trips per year with six nights away from home each trip. And how many business trips are taken each day? On average, it's made 1.3 million business trips occur each day in the U.S. through uh, 2016, which when this post was uh, made. Dollars expected to add another 38,000 trips in to the total on a daily basis. Are, women, are men or women more likely to travel for business? The number of women who are traveling for business has taken a sharp upturn over the last decade or so. Women account for approximately 47% of all business travelers, which is a Nice statistic. They're getting, it's pretty even. And it's probably gotten better at this point. I know some of the people I know that do travel for work are women. So it stands to reason that it is getting into the pretty even in terms of percentage of men and women who travel. So how old is the average business traveler? Older workers are, monthly, are more likely than their younger counterparts to travel for business. On average, the typical business traveler is 45.9 years old. So middle-age-ish. So how many business travel volume changed over the last decade? In the aftermath of the 2008 housing collapse, business travel took a serious nosedive. But it's recovered fairly well. Since 2009, the number of business trips each year has increased by 38%. Wow. Um, what are the top destinations for business travel? 
Some cities tend to attract more business travelers than others. According to the American Express survey, the top domestic city for business travel is Chicago, while London took the crown for global business. Okay. So now you have the cost of business travel. So how many, how much is spent on business travel in the U.S. each year? Business travelers are handing over a healthy amount of dough for hotels, restaurants, and transportation. For 2015, total business travel spending was projected to hit $302.7 billion in the U.S. That number is great to climb to $318.9 billion by the end of 2016. Now, what does the average business traveler spend on hotels? A hotel stay can easily cost hundreds of dollars, especially if you're taking a lengthy business trip. According to Business Travel News 2015 Corporate Travel Index, the average per diem rate for a hotel stay is $163.13. Now, what's a typical daily expenditure for meals? The price of meeting out while away from home surely adds up. Business Travel News puts the average daily spending for meals at $96.89. Thankfully, I'm never close to that. I probably get in the 50s and 60s, depending on the day, sometimes even less than that. Like, I think today, because my breakfast was complimentary, my lunch was uh, paid for by um, my one of the people at the plant I was at, and then my dinner was some pizza. I'm under 20 for meals for today, so can't beat that. So what's the average cost for a rental car? The cost of wheels get you from the airport to where you need to go. Take a toll on a travel budget. According to the Corporate Travel Index, the average daily rate for a business traveler is $46.89, which seems about average. Um, what U.S. city is the most expensive for business travelers? Business travelers face the steepest bill when taking a trip to San Francisco. For just one day, they spend the average combined cost of $509.50 to eat, rent a car, and book a hotel room. Oh, my. Um, how much does the typical domestic business flight cost? Flying business class comes with some nice perks, but there's also a hefty price I had to contend with. In 2014, the average business traveler paid $990 for a flight in the United States. That's definitely not what I paid, but okay. What's the average cost for an international flight? If you're flying outside the U.S. for business travel, be pretty even more. The average cost of an international flight was $2,525 in 2014. Yikes. Um, who travels? What percentage of business travelers fly? Although it's quick and convenient, air travel is less common than you might think for business trips. Overall, only 33% of domestic business travelers are catching planes to get where they need to go. Which age group is more excited about taking business trips? Young adults give business travel the thumbs up more often than older workers. In a survey from the Global Business Travel Association, 45% of millennials said that they wanted to travel more for business compared to 26% of baby boomers. Now, what percentage of seniors travel for business? Well, the majority of Pleasure travel involves the 55-plus crowd. That's not the case with business travel. 20% of business travelers are in the 55 to 64 age group, while just 7% are over the age of 65. Okay. What's the median household income for business travelers? Workers who travel for business tend to bring in a bigger salary than those who don't. The median household income for business travelers was $87,500 in 2012, compared to $52,800 for the rest of the population. I'm definitely in that, not quite, well, I'm in that range, but yeah. Um, travel distance and methods. So what percentage of business trips involve short distances? On the whole, the typical business trip in the U.S. isn't a cross-country venture. According to the Bureau of Transportation Statistics, 74% of business travelers is a destination that's less than 250 miles from home. It's typically not the case for me. 
Um, what percentage of business trips are long distance? Flying around the globe on business is a rare thing for most travelers. The Department of Transportation estimates that just 7% of business trips involve a distance of 1,000 miles or more. Okay, I can see that. <clears throat> what's the median one-way distance for a business? Uh, for What's the median one-way distance for a business trip in the U.S.? Of all the different types of travel, business trips usually feature the most amount of mileage. The median one-way distance is 123 miles compared to 114 for pleasure trips and 103 for personal trips. Okay. Uh, what percentage of business travelers use their personal vehicle? Overwhelmingly, business travelers get behind their own wheel while venturing out on a work-related trip. According to the U.S. Travel Association, 48% of business trips involve a personal vehicle. When will business travelers opt for wings over wheels or tracks? A trip over 500 miles away has the most travelers looking at flight schedules. 64% of trips ranging from 500 to 749 miles are taken by plane, while the number climbs to 85% for trips over 750 to 1,500 miles in length. Travelers who are getting more than 1,500 miles go by plane 90% of the time. I can't imagine any of those, like, taking a car in any of those other situations. I think if it takes more than five hours to drive... You should probably fly there. Well, maybe five hours is probably the cutoff because your flight time, but the time that it would take you to drive to the airport, fly, land, get a rental car, all that is probably more than five hours. So let's say seven or eight. So what's the median one-way distance based on travel method? Once you factor in the different method of travel, the median one-way distance shapes a little differently. For trips taken by car, the median length is 102 miles. For flights, the median business trip is 816. As long as your employer is covering the tab, travel for business could be the cheapest way for you to see the country, even the world, which I've said before. But what if you're the employer? Business owners can minimize some of that cost by using a business rewards credit card. It also helps to familiarize yourself with average costs to make sure your employees are getting the best deals every time they travel. Which I use like a, uh, a travel agent type person who can help you get the best deals on flights, hotels rental car, all of that, which is like previously negotiated for you. So that's one thing that I uh, found kind of interesting when I was looking at this. And if you're if like me, you probably don't travel a ton for work, but when you do, you kind of want to make it as smooth as possible, which is how I've come up with these 15 things. And I realized now there was one thing I was going to add, which is download a podcast like Poor360 or a Netflix show because you can download some Netflix stuff offline to watch later or have music or an audiobook or something on the plane. Because, like, if you say, like, oh, I want to read or I'm going to do this or that, there's gonna be a point where you just want to check out and listen to something that's not the sound of the person crying two aisles ahead of you or two rows ahead of you or just listen to the general plane noise. And you want to make sure you have a good set of noise canceling headphones. I've traveled for work before using like earbuds or just other types of headphones and they don't, they get, you have to turn them up so high they end up hurting your ears trying to overcome the plane noise. So a nice pair of noise canceling headphones makes a world of difference. I got those while traveling two years ago and I've, Loved every second of it. And if they're Bluetooth, you don't have that wire hanging and you can answer calls and stuff on it. It just makes things a little bit easier. So, but that said, here is my 15 tips for travel. This is Poor360's 15 tips for travel. So, by plane. Number one, 
And these are in no particular order. This is just the order that they came up with when I was writing this ahead of time. Number one, when traveling by plane, always have an extra set of clothes in your carry-on. You never know when there's going to be a situation where, oh, your checked bag is lost or it's going to take a few days for it to find you. You at least have a second set of clothes that you can change into or alternate with so you're not stuck in the same set of clothes that whole time until you have to find, until your suitcase gets returned or what have you, or you just have to go buy new clothes. Get to the airport at least two hours early. Yes, it might seem like, oh, what if I don't want to be stuck waiting to check in, but you got to think, by the time you get in, get through, if you're checking a bag, you have to go through, print your bag check, you have to go that that one line to deal with that. Then if you go to the TSA line, take, turn out all your pockets, take all your metal off of yourself, your belt, your shoes, all of that. If you bring a computer because you're traveling for it, you can take that out. If you have a tablet, take that out. It slows everything down, and if it's a busy time, you might be in that TSA line for 30, 40 minutes. You never know. You don't want to end up cutting it closely. You have to run from TSA to your flight or miss your flight altogether because you're running a little late. Number three, have a non-black suitcase or something that stands out on a baggage carousel. Yes, the most popular suitcase you'll find is black. So when you're sitting at the baggage carousel, you're going to see probably... 85 or more percent of those bags are going to be black and they're all going to look relatively the same, especially after you've been on a flight for eight hours and you just want to get your bag and get home. So you don't want to spend that point. Oh, is this my bag? No. Oh, is this my bag? No. Oh, is this my bag? No. You want to have a bag that stands out. Oh, it could have a racing stripe. Oh, it could be purple. Like I have a suitcase that I got secondhand. It is a brown suitcase. It's not the prettiest thing in the world, but it's big and I can spot it on a baggage carousel amongst all the black suitcases. So I can see it, there's mine, I grab it, I check to make sure, because you don't, on the off chance someone else has the exact same suitcase, you don't want to be 20 feet away and be like, oh crap, this isn't my bag, or worse, be at home and realize, oh crap, this is not my bag, because then you're in a whole world of predicaments, or you would wish someone would be that way with you, so that your bag is back safe and sound. Number four. Always look at the weather for the area you're going and what the weather will be like at home when you return and pack accordingly. Obviously, you already know, pack for the weather it's going to be when you're out there. If it's hot and sunny in 85, you want to make sure you pack a lot of shorts and t-shirts. You don't want to bring a coat unless you really think you're going to need it. But if you're going to go out there and it's going to be 20 below, you want to make sure you pack jeans, long socks, good comfortable shoes that aren't easy to collect water. You want to make sure they're a little waterproof or something like that. You want to make sure that you're going to be as comfortable as possible. You also be mindful that you're going to have to wear something in your suitcase is what you're going to wear back home. It might suck on the flight there, but you don't want to show up in long johns and a big jacket back to Florida where it's 85 degrees to go home and be like, oh, I'm dying. Like that's not something you want to deal with. Number five, remember to pack a charger for each device you bring. Even if you have some that are universal, you may want to charge everything at once the night before your return flight. I've had this situation. I have, like, I have a tablet, I have my phone, I have my headphones. I have everything that I think I will need for my flight there and my flight back. And you're going to want to charge those devices while you're there before you return. And you said, oh, I don't need only need to bring one charger because it's a micro USB or it's a USB-C or whatever, and it works for my devices. 
which is great. You can use it forever, but you can't charge all those devices at once. Either you're planning to charge all of these things in or in sequence with each other, or you could plan to use a lot of outlets and charge all your things at once and then just be done with it. I personally like to have more chargers than I know what to do with. So at least I can charge everything at once, which I've done at hotels. I've done it at an airport waiting to go, which is another point I don't have on here. When you're at an airport and you're charging something or you have unpacked a little bit, make sure everything is accounted for before you get up and move because things move fast at airports. And if you leave something behind, that thing is gone forever. Either it got thrown away, it got stolen, or worse. I guess it can't really be worse than stolen. Yeah, so don't want that to happen. Number six. If you have anything fragile in your checked bag, always put that in the center of your suitcase or in a shoe or preferably both. That way, no matter how your suitcase gets handled, the item won't break. Obviously, in this case, on this trip, I am bringing home a pint glass from that brewery I told you about. So right now I have it, well, it was wrapped when I got it. I have a shirt stuffed in it and I have it located in a shoe in the center of my suitcase. So there's some cushioning around it and I'm gonna pack my um, extra clothes and my dirty clothes stuff around it so it is in a nice little protective ball. So that way, if my suitcase gets thrown into the plane, to the, uh, the baggage area in the plane, or if it gets tossed out when it lands, there is a much less likely chance that it's going to get broken. So always look uh, for it that way. Number seven, always be mindful of the weight of your suitcase when you leave and return. Because if it's pushing the limit going there, any additional item will put you over the line. You don't have to pay that additional fee for an oversized bag or an overweight bag or have to move some items from your suitcase to your carry-on while waiting in that line to go get through TSA. Number eight, the placement of your carry-on should always be above your seat whenever possible. If you're in row 12 and your carry-on is in row 27 because people either bring too big of a carry-on or put their personal items over their head and you have no other opportunity to put it wherever there's an open spot, which is at the back of the plane, it doesn't help that those boarding groups are so ridiculous that it doesn't... I always feel like the boarding group should be related to your approximate location on the plane. Obviously, first class, as are probably an early boarding group, they have to go in and get settled. Then that should be the second boarding group should have the next five rows. Third ground boost for those falling first. It doesn't make sense to have five boarding groups that have eight people to 12 people each, and then group boarding group six has the other 60% of the plane, and then group seven, eight are small, and then group nine has the remaining, because then you have... A bunch of people have already packed in from front to back of the plane in weird seats that don't make a lot of sense. And then you have no baggage space with you because the person who sat down two boarders ahead of you put their coat, put their laptop bag, put their book, put their carry-on, all that just above their head. And you have no spot for yours, so you have to go back. And then, oh, great, you got a uh, seat 12, but your, bag's in, your bag is above seat 27, so you have to wait for seats 12 through 27 to leave, then you have to go to the back of the plane. And probably not that case, because then you have the rest of the plane also following. So you're going to have to wait until everyone gets off the plane for you to get your bag. And you got to hope it's there, because you can't obviously can't get to it while you're on the plane, because you're not going to be able to walk back to row 27, get your carry-on, come back to the front. It just becomes a nightmare. It's just... Try to always put it above your head, and if there's not room, put it under your seat, because that's what the under-seat storage is for. 
Number nine, avoid eating at a restaurant or getting snacks at the airport. Yes, I understand sometimes it's unavoidable, but you're paying a huge markup for mediocre food. Getting that bottle of water or that bottle of soda is you're going to pay three, four, five dollars for that. Or that bag of chips is going to be two bucks. Or you go to a restaurant and you're going to get a cheeseburger and a beer for $25. Like, if you can avoid it, great. Because even if you go two miles away from the airport, the food drops massively in price. Number 10. And this is all, all like, have you noticed, these first 10 are for plane travel. So be mindful of your flight time in relation to traffic. Just because when you looked the night before it said the airport was 45 minutes away from you, doesn't mean if your flight is at 8 a.m. or 5 p.m. that it's still going to be 45 minutes. You might want to double check what it's going to be closer to the time you're going to leave. Oh, maybe you didn't know there's a wreck that happened to happen five minutes before you're set to leave that's going to delay your travel time 20 minutes. And if you're already on top of the list and number two was to get there about two hours early, you need to back your schedule up to make sure you're not late. And Google Maps has a nice tool that lets you put in when you expect to leave, and it gives you an approximate idea of traffic. Obviously, that's a no. Con- if there's going to be issues with an accident or whatever, but it does keep in mind of construction, of general traffic trends, and lets you give you the best idea to plan accordingly. Now, for a rental car, here are three things that I think are helpful. Number one, even if you're traveling for work, it is safer to choose the car that fits your situation if you than to go without. So say, for example, if you're picking up a fellow employee, cramming into a compact car just to save a few bucks isn't going to help anyone. Or say, if you have snow or inclement weather um, is expected while you're there, maybe paying a little extra to get a vehicle that has all-wheel drive is helpful. I've been in that situation. I was in Salt Lake City for work. It was snow was expected. I went ahead and got the Jeep Wrangler that had all-wheel drive. And when I was driving back to the airport while it's blowing snow over the place and I'm maintaining control was worth every penny for my own safety and the safety of the employee I was riding with. Number two, bring a windshield or dash mount for your phone or have a GPS with you. I am the worst of this. I don't follow this one, but I need to be doing it. So you're never going to be hundred percent certain of where things are when you're traveling and having it on your phone that's on your lap is involving you looking down every two minutes to make sure you're going the right way. When you're driving an unfamiliar place with unfamiliar roads, you don't want to be looking down all that often. You're going to get in a wreck or get pulled over by the cops for looking at your phone. Number three, pack a car charger and a charge stick and keep it in your rental car and don't leave it when you return it. So if you're using your GPS on your phone, it's going to drain the hell out of your battery and you just want to be able to have it to get around. If there's a chance that your phone dies, you don't have a car charge, you want that charge stick to help boost your phone battery, especially if you're in a situation where, say, you're stalled out. You want to make sure your phone is charged. Otherwise, you might want to have that phone with you because you're stuck wherever you are. Now, it brings us to hotel things. These are two things. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of more stuff I can add to the list, but this is what I came up with this evening after my work day, the things that I think are important. Number one, always get the complimentary breakfast. Even if it's a continental breakfast and it's fruit, a bagel, and cereal, it's still better than having to trek out to a fast food place to get a less healthy meal And saves you a little bit of money, which even if it's on the company dime, it's still nice to do. Number two, which I'm not saying it's not from personal experience. If your room has an alarm clock, before you go to bed, make sure that alarm is off. There's nothing worse than waking up at 5 a.m. 
unintentionally because the person who stayed at the hotel the night before you did or the, tr- the last person who was in that room said it that way. And I think that is a good list of things to keep in mind. And if you like, reach out to me and I can put that whole list up on the page. I might do it anyway, but it's probably a lot of characters. So I probably can't put it on Twitter, but I will try and put it on Facebook. I know I've been bad about sharing on social media, but I'll try and put it out there. If you have any suggestions, share it out. Comment on the on the thread when I put it up there. And that is my Poor 360's top 15 list for traveling. And I think that will probably do it for Poor 360 this week. I'm still getting adjusted to different time zones, and I'm a little off here. So I want to thank everyone for listening. Obviously, I don't need to do a better job of social media. I have been bad about posting for every show I've been a part of. I don't think Poor 36 has been updated in a few weeks. Adulting really hasn't updated since it came back. I think I put the first episode up, but I have not been consistent about it, so I apologize. I definitely need to work at it, and I'll try and do my best, but with traveling, it just makes it harder. But for those listening out there that are loyal enough and that are still listening to my show, I greatly appreciate it. And I'll do my best to bring you new and exciting content with each and every episode. If you have comments, you have feedback, you have suggestions, please feel free to reach out to me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, or reach out through other people on the Journey to Comics Network, and it'll get back to me. You can check out all those other shows. You can listen to the credits after this. I appreciate everything that the people on the network have done for me with this show. And I'm glad I'm able to bring a little bit of myself to you, my loyal listeners. So that'll do it for Poor360 for this week. You guys have a great week. You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitch Radio, Spotify, and many others.